This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. Happy birthday to you. Hey, where's mom going? She hasn't even opened her presents. Well, son, she just turned 65, which means there's new offers for her at Specsavers. What? Yep, an eye exam now costs her nothing, and she can get 30% off lens upgrades with any pair of glasses. Wow. So, can we cut the cake now? You betcha. No-cost eye exams are for eligible seniors at all participating locations with costs covered by provincial health care. Conditions apply. See specsavers.ca. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. You are an old man who thinks in terms of nations and peoples. There are no nations. There are no peoples. There is only one holistic system of systems. One vast and immane, interwoven, interacting, multivariate, multinational dominion of dollars. And you have meddled with the primal forces of nature. And you will atone. Everybody knows that the days are loaded. Everybody rolls with fingers crossed everybody knows the war is over everybody knows the good guys lost everybody knows the fight was fixed the poor stay poor the rich get rich that's how it goes everybody knows Live from Toronto, Canada, The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio, AM 740. Everybody knows that the days are A little later in the show, we'll Everybody open up the phones and you'll have an opportunity, uh, one of those rare occasions where we have a, a free half hour, as I say, towards the tail end, you'll have an opportunity to raise the hackles on the back of my neck. And uh, we'll do what we call spine-tingling tales, your encounters with the, uh, uh, well, the paranormal, the supernatural, the just plain weird, strange, something that you can't explain. Sometimes spine-tingling tales can be lifted right off the front page of the newspaper, of course. So we can talk uh, about just about anything during spine-tingling tales. Welcome to The Conspiracy Show. Where are we? It's Sunday, June the 6th. That's, uh, of course, linear time and space. Uh, for the rest of you out there in hyper uh, dimensions, uh, welcome to the program to you as well. Listen, we uh, have a very interesting program for you. I don't know if you saw the movie The Men Who Stare, Stare at Goats or read the book uh, by John Ronson. Uh, you'll recall the, if you've seen the movie, you'll recall the, um, the actor, uh, Jeff Bridges, who I think is one of this generation's finest, uh, actors, he portrayed a rather interesting a lieutenant commander in that movie, or here in Canada, I should say, lieutenant commander. 
that's particularly important to get that straight as we celebrate uh, or mark, of course, uh, the anniversary of D-Day. Uh, but uh, in The Men Who Stare at Goats, Jeff Bridges is, again, this lieutenant commander of this rather interesting unit. The members of the New Earth Army in the film were a band of warrior monks. They would practice meditation, yogic cat stretches and and primal screams in order to attain battle readiness. They would use shiatsu as battlefield first aid. The trainees would uh, learn to fast for a week, drinking only juice and then eat only nuts and grains for a month. They'd be able to fall in love with everyone, realize the different paths of spirit, perceive the auras of living organisms, attain the power to pass through objects such as walls, otherwise known as phasing, bend metal by using the power of the mind, also known as psychokinesis. They could walk on fire, operate based um, on spirit communications, become peacemakers, actually change a violent pattern in the world, also known as the Maharishi effect. Well, my next guest, as I say, was portrayed by Jeff Bridges in that movie. He was a lieutenant colonel in the U.S. Army. Most notably, he's remembered for creating the first Earth Battalion Manual. And many of the ideas contained in this and the outcomes of putting such concepts into practice have been documented by journalist John Ronson, as I say, in his book, The Men Who Stare at Goats. A great pleasure to have Jim Chen here on The Conspiracy Show AM 740. Hello, Jim. Aloha. How are you doing? Wonderful. Thank you. And, uh, you know, I'll never, ever hear those immortal words, be all you can be, the same way again. <laughs> great. Uh, I swallowed the whole package. I've never been the same since. Well, you know, it's interesting. Uh, we, we come out of uh, the, uh, the Vietnam War and enter into, uh, you know, the Cold War um, era. And the U.S. Army, I guess, decides to embrace that concept, be all you can be, as you say, at a, at a, whole, a whole different level. But can you give us a bit of the backstory, Jim? Because, quite frankly, I would never have imagined that the U.S. Army would get be- behind something like this. And, I, you know, I read all about you, and you're this, uh, ama- this amazing, uh, interesting individual. And I thought, my God, how did you ever get into the Army? <laughs> oh, hey, you can't hang around, uh, you know, four different continents and be in war for two years and uh, have four years of postgraduate education and still be dull, you know. I'm afraid uh, most people's stereotype of Army officers is prob- probably the fault of Hollywood, who keeps replaying basic training. I think people still think they run around the Pentagon screaming at each other, you know? Yeah, you can't fight in here. This is the war room. That's right. <laughs> you dumb head, and why don't you get a haircut, you know? Yeah, you'd be the guy that, in the movie, you'd be the guy that gets drummed out of the Army. That, well, they, they sort of did that in the movie, and there were probably guys in the Army that wanted me drummed out when I was meddling. But, um... That was uh, that was just the way I was, and uh, there was no help for it. Um, well, here's the deal, though. In the years after Vietnam, the intelligence was showing that we might have to uh, stand up in Europe against the Soviet army with way more people and way more tanks than we had, and that we were sort of licking our wounds um, after Vietnam in a pretty nonplussed state. So... 
there were four very bright generals, uh, and that is not an oxymoron. They were four stars, and they were brilliant. And they had they were looking for some way to kickstart creativity, because to shift from counterinsurgency to you know the full kinetic lethal battlefield is a big jump. Mm-hmm. And uh, so through a consequence of them having a think tank, and then uh, in my case, me walking in like the crash dummy and having really strange ideas, they decided to invest in my uh, story. I'm a proto-mythologist. That's what I can call myself now. And I write stories and create cultural artifacts about a future that we really want and uh, trick people into believing it's possible and therefore triggering the necessary action. And uh, I happened to be part of that think tank where I showed up and um, instead of giving another information briefing with slides about uh, the human potential movement, I uh, inducted these guys in a ceremony into a mythical unit. Um, That's just the kind of shaman I am. And I can give you details if you like, but the short of it was very shortly after that, I had um, illustrated a 125-page field manual with basically tools of human excellence as best I could gather them. Most people think I was uh, visiting hippie communes as a result of the movie. Right, right. And uh, not, not that I have anything against hippies, by the way. Um, I did have a few nice moments you know, at Esalen, but it was mostly with Joseph Campbell. <laughs> oh, right, right. right. <laughs> yeah. So um, the short of it is, is the Army was mailed out uh, a field manual, and that isn't the whole Army, but the Army is clever enough and keeps track of people enough to send it to the brightest young officers. And so all of a sudden, these guys were given a certain kind of license to break out of the mold, and they selectively you know, cherry-picked the manual, taking out, like, breathing techniques and stealth techniques and nutrition elements and um, different styles of thinking about tactics, and off they went. Well, the scientific community supporting the Army also got excited, the people at DARPA and other places, because it looked like the generals had sort of taken the lid off of the creativity thing, and off they went. So even though I didn't have anything to do with remote viewing, remote, remote viewing got funded and off it went. And the same was true for a whole lot of other very paranormal kind of activities, which, by the way, are essential if you're walking around in a strange place where people are trying to shoot you. Yes, I would imagine uh, having uh, precognition would come in very handy. So, oh. <laughs> and and, uh, and and retrocognition and all the rest. But uh, so they just basically took your template and they it was sort of made to order for you know whoever wanted to uh, to to take it and change it and adopt it and and go off and run their own unit. They were allowed to. It was well when you say run their own unit, there were still standards to run units, but they were authorized to think out of the box. And um, by the manual was actually designed to take them along a rather uh, pragmatic path. And then, then what I did is I wrote sort of two more wild things that would happen in step seven and step eight, like walking through walls, which I had no understanding of at all. But my job was to pull these guys out of the box. And so the manual was written to invite them into the future. 
and they did it in all sorts of ways and um and it was a very very powerful creative surge in in army training everywhere and i I got involved in later in illustrating an 80-square-mile laser sensor uh, fighting system on the ground in Barstow, California, putting machine guns on dune buggies and ultralights, and, you know, um, the door was open. The, and, uh, uh, did, did, did Project Stargate or the remote viewing program uh, that we've since uh, have come to learn about from people like David Morehouse or, or, or yes. uh, Lieutenant Paul Smith, did that come out of your manual, essentially? Not out of the manual per se, but uh, the, the general permission to look into the unknown. And by the way, when they read me my orders after I'd given them this induction that night in the officer's club, they said, you are hereby the commander of the mythical 1st Earth Battalion to go forward and dare to think the unthinkable. So that pretty well took all the, you know, the roof off of that deal. Um, and, this, and, you know, the buzz gets out in any organization about what the generals want and what they don't want and what they'll fire you for. And, um, yes, it was, it was, um, it was very creative. I, I had no idea myself that uh, the manual itself would spring into action, but it was, it was also kind of document that you weren't really supposed to have, which is the reason why everybody read it, of course. Certainly. And they took it secretly to the copy machine and made copies and gave it to the other guys. All right, like Abby Hoffman, steal this book. <laughs> yeah, you, you understand the, you know, the social marketing value of that idea. Jim Channon, lieutenant colonel in the U.S. Army and the man who wrote the book, quite literally, on 1st Earth Battalion, later to be portrayed in the Hollywood movie The Men Who Stare at Goats, right here on The Conspiracy Show. Don't go away. My name is Richard Serrett. dream a new America, an America that no longer has an exploitative view of natural resources, no longer promotes consumption at all costs. But to achieve this dream, we must become the first superpower to develop superpowers. We must create warrior monks, men and women who can fall in love with everyone, sense plant auras, pass through walls. Stop saying mindless cliches and see into the future. I want you to join me in this vision. Be all you can be. Don't be afraid of the dark. The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio, AM 740. To talk to Richard, call 416-360-0740 or toll free in Ontario at 1-866-740-4740. Often referred to as the fastest magic marker in the West, Jim Channon is an out-of-the-box strategic visionary and a high-speed graphic illustrator. His unique combination of imagination, wit, and intellect has been likened to that of Walt Disney, Jim Henson, and Bucky Fuller. His career of 50 years spans the military and corporate worlds where he has developed far-reaching ideas, beauty, and conceptual tools to make Spaceship Earth a better place for us all. He pioneered and perfected a specific set of skills that create an archetype for the new Renaissance man of the 21st century. Following, uh, anyway, he's also known as, a, as a, an echo warrior, an environmental steward, 
And uh, as I say, in 1978, as a lieutenant colonel in the U.S. Army, he announced he worked for the planet and uh, wrote the field manual for the 1st Earth Battalion, a think tank in the U.S. Army. Inspired by the human potential and an advanced human performance movements, Jim had conceptualized dozens of tactics that involved military units working in concert with nature. It was his vision, or his version, of a whole Earth catalog for military leaders. During the late 80s, media maverick Ted Turner was inspired by the conversations he had with his friend Jim Channon. These conversations led to the creation of the backstory and characters for Turner's leading syndicated environmental cartoon, Captain Planet. The series played heavily during the 90s, and Jim's signature cheer, Go Planet, would hurt, was heard across the globe. Uh, now, Jim, you are a remote viewer. <laughs> I, ha- I had to be. I had, I had five rifle platoons moving around in the dark at one point. And, um, you know, when you're walking down a dark alley and somebody might shoot you, it's funny how interested your entire body becomes in know into knowing what's out there. And um so in, in Vietnam, for example, after a really ugly first day of combat where I lost one and only soldier, um, it was really clear to me that number one, we had to get stealthy, meaning shut up. You know, they could hear us coming. We were such big bad dudes, you know, and uh Shortly after that, we developed a set of hand signals which allowed us to talk without any kind of noise whatsoever or voice. And then pretty soon, certain guys began to volunteer to be the point man, you know, the guy who goes at the lead of the file. And what what happened was is the more sensitive guys in the platoon could feel something coming. That's a, usually a belly feeling. Right. I, I mean, I got an, an email from a guy in Iraq today who, who chronicled how he took his convoy through um, a town. And every time he went through that town, he got a feeling in his belly that was not good. Then he got a spot flash on this one day of a curb in that um, particular town. And then as his unit was moving through that town the very next day, he made sure his his um, his vehicles were off the other side of the road because they had to stop, and sure enough, the curb went off. So he's using a, comb- a combination of the gut feel, then a flash moment of clairvoyance, something like that, or claircognizance, but, and putting combinations together like that is what soldiers have to learn to do, and tr- we're trying to promote that. It's... If, if you just take news reports, you're going to say, well, remote viewing ought to do it all. No. If you can remote view and then psychokinetically snap the pin, the warhead pin on a missile, whoa, now we're talking some something useful. And that is a real kind of indicator to me about what the next, this century is going to become very shortly. Well, how very far, interdimensional. How, how far did the U.S. Army take this? Because we're, we were told that officially uh, Stargate and other similar remote viewing programs within the military at least were uh, discontinued. Uh, but were they continued sort of under the radar? I mean, how, far, how long did they continue with this experiment? Well, Richard, I wouldn't know that. Um, that's all, you know, compartmentalized information. But think about it yourself. Now, uh, 
what would you do if you had a really successful thing going on and it got popularized? Yeah, I'd just keep quiet about it and I'd no, keep doing you'd it. No, tell them, no, we stopped that a right. long time ago. Right. Yeah, so that's the answer to which neither of us can, you know, be specific. But um, I would say, I would say probably a third of the ideas that popped out of the box were picked up and then specialists took them on in one way or the other. And the rest of, about a third of them just were forgotten, a little bit too esoteric, you right. know. Uh, I think the food guys finally got that uh, the uh, comments about uh, ginseng and a few of those um, other kind of supplements. But then when it came into the mind, applications of mind and whatnot, like it's a very popular word in the Army now, situational awareness. Now, if I took the basic college definition of intelligence, which is basically span of knowledge or depth of knowledge about a subject, that doesn't really help you in the moment very much. It's not a good way to, to have uh, leaders moving around trying to solve problems. The intelligence that situational awareness brings is how many elements do you have in your mind or your senses that can scan a situation? Is your seeing as good, let's say, as a hunter's seeing instead of just a regular street boy's seeing? Uh, is your feel, what's your combination of the number of ways you can feel your way forward? So imagine optimizing the number of ways you can scan, then optimize the number of ways you can sort through information. You know, which of that stuff is most important, which is most dangerous, which do I have to think about now, and then shift from the processing stage to the what do I do about it stage? Can I... Can I take an action here that in the shortest possible time will give my soldiers a chance to do the best thing? And that could be a single hand signal provided you've set them up right, or a, right. signal a single command. So I'm speeding through this, but it's scan, focus, act. That's situational awareness. I think it's the intelligence we need to move toward. I think universities are behind the power curve. The, the web has got the knowledge on it. What they need to do now is to teach people to get the job done in the most interesting situations. Tell me about the, uh, the remote viewing uh, conference that's coming up in, in Las Vegas. I'm guessing that you're going to be uh, teaching a lot of this and, and many other things, obviously. But, but uh, when does it take place and, and uh, yeah. your role in it? Well, thank you. It'll be it'll start on the 18th of this month and go to the 20th. I think most of the people will come home after that. It collects, arguably, a pretty diverse community of uh, remote viewers. It's in Las Vegas. Um, if I recall, irvaconference.org is the way you can uh, still sign up. I think there are a few, few places left. Um, we're going to get a whole range of instruction on different ways to pull off the remote viewing thing. Um, it isn't just a matter of slipping yourself uh, into a place beyond time and space. But when you slip into the place where you're going to be reporting on, the quality of your observation, even with clairvoyance, and your capacity to report on it, are a function of your discriminating intelligence, your imagination, and the fluency of your language. So I'm going to be helping out, especially with um, imagery um, 
and uh, showing people shorthand ways to draw things that are actually 3D and 4D, which I was doing um, in East Berlin in uh, 1963, where I would have 20 seconds to see a new piece of Soviet equipment go flying by. And then four hours later, I would have to reconstruct that, which I learned to do almost down to, you know, nuts and bolts. And that's a learned skill. And uh, that is a skill, by the way, of an active imagination. If Let me just play with this a half a second here. Sure. People bandy the word imagination out all over the place. If you can get an image in your mind, that means you have a good visual vocabulary. If you can take that image now and spin it three or 180 and look at the other side and it's still clear to you, and then move maybe up above it and you can see it in 3D, that's an imagination, meaning you're taking the image and working it in your mind until it work, you add things to it while you're doing that. Then you walk to the board and you draw it, and it's the composite in your mind that's been dynamically created that tells you whether you have an imagination or not. I don't believe that's taught anywhere. No, no. That's, like that. I mean, that, that whole spatial uh, ability is something I really struggle with. I, I've never been, uh, I have to say, very good at that. Uh, but you say that can be learned. Uh, uh, oh, yeah. You just get a basic book on perspective, and by the time you've drawn your fourth or fifth cube from a different point of view, whether you're above the cube, below the cube, the cube's 20 feet away, the lines that you draw to get that to work all of a sudden snap into your mind just like a matrix, and you can snap that onto anything afterwards and draw it directly without any cheat sheets or pencil marks. Jim Channon is with us, and uh, he was, uh, of course, one of the main inspirations for... Uh, the uh, Jeff Bridges character in The Men Who Stare at Goats, and uh, Jim wrote the manual for the 1st Earth uh, Battalion. Uh, back to the... Uh, let, let's talk about remote viewing beyond the military. And uh, uh, I've, I've talked to a number of remote viewers over the years. Uh, I've um, interviewed David Morehouse and Paul Smith, and I had a local remote viewer uh, here on the program, and we did a remote viewing experiment live on the air, we had uh, four, was it Dan, four volunteers or three volunteers live in the studio who had no remote viewing experience, and she sort of off the air uh, took them, them very quickly through the paces uh, in about two hours, gave them a sort of a very rudimentary introduction, and uh, it wasn't coordinate to remote viewing, but had them sort of focus on a, an object. She wrote the, the, uh, the actual name of the object down on a piece of paper. It sat on a desk in front of me, right. and uh, they all were... V- pretty close. They, you know, they all were talking about, um, it's a man-made structure, uh, uh, it's it's white, there are reflect- reflecting ponds right. around it, and it ended up being the Taj Mahal. Right. And I was just blown away by how how close they were. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, well, a couple of things are involved in, in my particular uh, way of thinking about it. First of all, the speed at which the image appears and disappears sometimes is like a quarter of a second. So you have to grok it on the fly and then trust yourself to sort of freeze frame it while you go through the motions of of getting it down on a piece of paper. And 
This is Jim Channon talking. I, I, when I go to this conference, I'm going to know a little bit more about how other people do it. But the whole business of insight, you know, and um, telepathy even, it's the speed at which you get the um, message that is difficult for people to believe because it came so fast. Like, if you say something slightly embarrassing and you're looking at somebody, within a tenth of a second, they will make a face that responds honestly to your question. And if you're looking for that face, you will get their actual psychic response to it. But it's a really, there's an interesting function of speed there. So if your listeners are out there, trust yourselves more um, with respect to uh, the flash that you get and practice holding on to the flash. Ah, all you uh, you Thursday night poker players, this could be useful for you too, I'm thinking. <laughs> yeah. And by the way, you, you drivers that are going out on the road uh, a lot, uh, to take this, uh, as Richard said, let's take this remote viewing thing into the practical world. Very often you get in the car and you get to that place where you're about to put on your seatbelt. If you get a goosey feeling, you know, Pay attention. Maybe drive the speed limit for a while. Right. Very often I've done that, and there was a big traffic accident in front of me, and I was, and then I went by at the speed of you know normal uh, traffic speed. So, um, so it's usually, by the way, in combination with the gut. The gut is the alarm bell, you know, and then the brain is the flash insight. So, Jim, what does a warrior monk uh, such as yourself do? Uh, during uh, peacetime, what do you? How does a warrior monk make that transition from the military into the corporate world? Well, if you think, if you think of most black belts in martial arts, when they are a black belt, they are cool as cucumbers under. That's a really strange analogy. I'm sorry, <laughs> um, cliches. I hate them, but they're very, very empty when they're doing their black belt. Um, finals, that's the monk guy. Then when the enemy commits or the other person commits to them, when they execute their response, it is maybe violent and perfect. So you see the combination there. And the monk is the person who has to go into these villages in Afghanistan and Iraq and not set off you know, an, uh, a firefight that turns around, you know, ruining that end of town. Um, they have to be willing, because, you know, their orders are, do not shoot first. Hmm. You know that? I did not know that. They, you, t- you, you say, did the 1st Earth Battalion manual have an effect on the Army's tactics? And you get orders from the, uh, the three-star general, McChrystal, who says, you may not shoot first. Don't think that. Because in Vietnam, we used to do a thing called reconnaissance by fire, if you thought you were going into a danger area, you would just unload a clip or a magazine and then walk in. So, whoo, very different. And, and of course, the, if you're not cool and don't have really calm but quick reflexes, you're in big trouble in these situations. So it isn't like it's just going to do you a great deal of good on the firing range, you know, if you can knock the pasty out. Right, right. You, you have to be really cool, and you have to take that extra, say, sixth of a second to make sure it's not a woman or a child, you know. Um, it's, t- it's a tough but very pertinent um, 
archetype for the current soldiers uh, at work in the Middle East. Yes. Warrior and it, monk. And it, it, it is, as you say, uh, not uh, sort of the depiction that most of us have of, uh, you know, the uh, the jarhead, uh, as they're, you know, referred to in the, the Marines and so forth, that shoot first and ask questions later. Uh, things have changed since the... Uh, you know that the Malai uh, massacre in '67, and thank God, and uh, right. uh, we have a new breed of uh, of soldiers. But uh, listen, when we uh, we come back, let's get your take on uh, uh, what's going on in the rest of the world, and and how, as uh, warrior monks, you would approach these problems. Are you good for that, Jim? Okay. Terrific. Jim Channon is with us. The men who stare at goats. If you haven't seen it or read it, go out. Rent it, read it, and uh, familiarize yourself with this remarkable man. And we'll get to uh, your calls as well. Toll free from out of town, from Maine to Minnesota, Thunder Bay to the Carolinas, 1-866-740-4740, 866-740-4740. And in Toronto and surrounding area, 416-360-0740. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. Let me give you a couple of important websites for Jim. FirstEarthBattalion.org. FirstEarthBattalion.org. Also, Arcturus.org. That's A R C. T-U-R-U-S Arcturus.org and SustainableHawaiiIsland.org SustainableHawaiiIsland.org and he is joining us from Hawaii tonight. Jim Channon is with us and uh, we're talking about uh, remote viewing among other things. The uh, the first Earth Battalion which was uh, fictionalized in uh, the George Clooney uh, Jeff Bridges movie The Men Who Stare at Goats now, one of the interesting things I think you're talking about is uh, at the uh, international or the uh, the remote viewing conference in Las Vegas later this month is um, the twelve breakthroughs of the next decade, and one of them, number one, is oil companies realize that they are in fact liquid transportation companies and they start to move fresh water to needy places on the planet. Uh, imagine, <laughs> imagine that. That would be a, a wonderful. Uh, a wonderful transition, but let me let me get your take on on what's happening. This uh, horrible uh, environmental catastrophe uh, in the Gulf of Mexico and the the BP oil rig that um, has not really been capped entirely. But uh, what's I mean, what goes through the 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 the, the mind of a of a, a warrior monk? And and if you were sitting down with the people at BP, what would you be telling them? <laughs> It's interesting because I was sitting down with the people of Shell Oil uh, 22 years ago telling them precisely what you just read. And, uh, but I think the, um, I have a, uh, a YouTube called Operation Noble Steward. And what I did was I looked at cases where you have very difficult and highly technical kind of problems like, like the oil spill that's a mile plus down under the water. And similarly, Simple things like almost every village in, in uh, northern India having their water system um, poisoned by, you know, bad filters, too much use, etc. 
we have, I mean, one of my games is, is we have these interesting things to do on the planet to make us better. We also have a lot of people that aren't applying themselves full-time, like uh, veterans and um, and even union workers and even kids. And I try to take the most unused people and give them really specialized mission to bring the planet back and uh, heal the biosphere. But the militaries, Army, Navy, Air Force, Marines, each have perfect tools for corresponding work. Army guys take care of reforestation, fix watersheds. Marines take care of coastland, coral reefs, inland waterways. Navy clean up the flotsam, protect overfishing. Air Force project long-range aircraft with villages for, for disaster rescue and monitor with uh, from the sky the um, pollution coming out, send it to local radio stations and have the local uh, violators, you know, um, put under the pressure that they deserve. So, gosh, the correspondence here. Now, I, I actually had um, over 200 three-star general candidates in a classroom in Fort Leavenworth, Kansas, planning the recovery of the biosphere. And they were told these kinds of missions, and they began, you know, breaking down the resources, task organizing, and getting... So when those guys get in positions of power in two or three to five or ten years, if the president says, we want you to now go take care of the planet, work with the rest of the armies of the world, they're all going to say, got you covered, already been there. And so people deserve to know that their armies are already on the books with that. And uh, that's one type of solution. But imagine, now, how would the Navy help with that particular uh, mile-plus deep oil problem? Maybe not. That would be the hard part, unless they would build a twin-hulled vehicle that could, you know, have the necessary cranes to get as many people down at the source of the problem as possible. But imagine the Natural Guard, which are uh, young people and former veterans from all over the area, just four states above the Gulf Gulf Coast, driving large uh, flatbed trucks through um, wheat and alfalfa country, picking up the chaff dropping off at the shoreline, having local people distribute the chaff into the shoreline so it catches the oil, raking it up, putting it on the trucks, taking it to the incinerators on the way back north, and burning it for electricity. Hmm. So that's a natural guard kind of phenomenon. Um, that and, and, and the people in those states actually have a vested interest because that's their vacation land. They build a you know an affinity with the characters along the coast themselves, and they will also solve the economic problem later when people have decided they don't really want to go there anymore. Well, they will because they'll have this cultural affinity. Uh, mobilizing people with really great ideas. Government is so big and so stuck behind their desks that they have proven to us without any shadow of a doubt they can't do it. You know, they can't do it. They don't even want to start. I've watched them during an earthquake. They won't get in each other's way. They're afraid of, like, stepping on each other's toes. Meanwhile, stuff needs to get done. Uh, I noticed the pace of my voice went up to mild anger. 
Um, <laughs> but you know, we've got to get used to the idea that that a government, our government, was a great social invention 270 years ago. It is not America. It's a system, a governmental system run like a corporation, and it hasn't improved itself in 270 years. Thomas Jefferson would have nuked the place. It's I, I call it uh, not just your your government, but all all sort of governments. They're like oh, yeah. a, a synthetic beast, and it's like you know you have the trappings of a sort of a chain of command, but it's like nobody really is in charge. It's like it's on autopilot, and and when something like uh, Katrina happens, or the BP oil disaster, or uh, those things that the government is supposed to leap into action, and and the chain of command is supposed to work. As you say, they, they no, there's this inertia. Uh, and uh, the old saying, you know, we're from the government, we're here to help. Nothing could be further from the truth. <laughs> yes. we're, yeah, we're here to, to just confuse the issue. Thank you. Well, hey, Richard, the good news, the web. If you want to have a representative government where everybody at the local level knows in clear terms what it is, what resources are available to them, what choices are available to them, the web does it. It beats government by t- a factor of 10. And, by the way, it's already global. So we can let these big centers melt down. And if they don't melt down, we can sort of just walk away. They'll mold. And if worse comes to worse, we'll stop sending them food and water, and they can eat their buildings. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm, I'm being slightly you know, revolutionary here. But it, and I do think they're going to go away politely, but I'd like to see them be smart enough to go out, take over a congruent biosphere, bring real resources to bear, cut down on the office jobs, and start over. Is it, it's almost, are well, you talking about the withering away of the state? Uh, are you saying that we, it's, you know, we, we, want to, yeah, we might as well just well, give up on... that's what happens to old businesses when mm-hmm. they don't deliver. People don't go to the store anymore. <laughs> and in this case, of course, they're printing the money, so it's a little harder. Um, but, uh, uh, let me yeah. ask. Let me ask you about. Uh, uh, we were talking about oil, but um, you know the the energy issue. And a friend of mine was uh, telling me something. A piece of technology he's been following for ten years, and uh, uh, it's it's called the Bloom Box. And uh, apparently, you uh, you um, you connect uh, your your natural gas um, to one end of it, and out the other end, you 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 connect to your. Uh, your electrical or your fuse box, it, it generates, this bloom box will generate, it's a, it's a, a fuel cell or a power cell, it'll, yeah. it'll generate electricity in your home so that you no longer need the, the, uh, the power grids and the, you know, the, the sure. infrastructure. Um, but already you have people lining up from, from government, of course, so they have a vested interest in the, the billions and billions they spend on maintaining this infrastructure. They're all lining up trying to knock holes in this technology before it's even been released commercially. Yeah. But how do you, how do you turn something like that around? How do we embrace uh, a, a change like that? Because as a friend of mine said, it's, it's almost impossible to get people to change behavior, but you can change their attitude. But how yes. do we get people to embrace the future, uh, uh, something like that, and, and, and uh, rather than get dragged down with this inertia, as I say? Right. The status quo, I call it. Yeah. Um, I did, um, Bucky Fuller was really clear about that. He tried for perhaps 30 years to show people the, the principles behind how you look at things in a different way. Zero results, pretty much. So he started to build sample 
prototypes like the geodesic dome, the Dymexian car, and whatnot. So physical models is a great way to go. The other thing is to back it up with a mythology that is culturally based. I don't care in 100 years whether we have a different economy than now. What I want to have is a civilization. And I want a lifestyle to be attached to it, not more glass and steel and cable. Um, so mythologies that I work on have very much to do with focusing on lifestyle, creating real characters, attaching archetypes and stereotypes, building new cultural values, and fundamentally the, the popular uh, communications and culture just leads people then in that direction. Unfortunately, we right now are stuck in the gossip mode. We're stuck in the whiny mode. We're stuck in the this doesn't work, can you possibly imagine mode, and that's a normal phase. And the phase after this is people finally just say, screw it, pick up a shovel, move to the country, talk to a sweet old farmer and his wife and say, hey, could you spare a little space over here? Here's some money, by the way, for a new tractor. And oh, by the way, if this works out, we're bringing eight of our friends out here next year. And uh, by the way, could we go into this little town and add a, another rock and roll uh, band? <laughs> uh, I That's where I've been working in the last... Um, 20 years. Hey, I'd sign uh, on for that. Global Village, Eco Homestead, Ag Hamlet. Um, we're already doing it here. What did John Prine say? Uh, let's see. Move to the country, eat a lot of peaches, throw away your TV, try to find Jesus on your own. Sounds, <laughs> sign me up. All right. Jim Shannon is with us. I'm back with more of The Conspiracy Show. Don't go away. You gotta free your feet before you can free your mind, Lance. Not really much of a dancer, sir. You want the truth? You can handle the truth. The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio, AM 740. To get to the truth, call Richard now at 416-360-0740 or toll free at 1-866-740-4740. Jim Channon is with us. He wrote the field manual for the 1st Earth Battalion. You were talking about, uh, you know, this, I don't know, evolution of, uh, of human consciousness that one day we're going to wake up and we're going we're gonna to basically say, uh, we're not going to follow the government or the, the state anymore. We know best. We can manage the store better ourselves. Uh, is there a time frame for this? I mean, does it have anything to do, for example, with, with, uh, with 2012? Does it tie in with that at all? I think it does. Um... Just like in the last century, you know, at the beginning of the century, uh, you got a speeding ticket if you went faster than a horse. And at the end of the century, we were going Mach 14 around Mars. Um, we're going to have a similar, that was a, a whole uh, concept you might call projection, how we projected ourselves all over the planet. And by the way, all those heavy-duty guys, blue-collar, wonderful tool-maker guys who build planes and boats and ships and communications and connected the planet, take a bow. I hate, to, I hate it when people don't get what happened in the last century. We connected the planet. Now, nobody at the moment has the ganas to announce that we're actually one culture, because we don't really have people like that on the planet. And it would 
you know, probably belittle them to say there was anything bigger than a government, a nation. But um, in this case, um, okay, help me a little bit. I just got so excited about that idea. I thought I lost the thread. Well, you, I, I think you. Uh, I don't know if you were going in this direction, but this the you know the, the global community, the in, in, interconnectivity. Ah, yes. Uh, yes. Somebody wrote a book, interestingly enough, about that, saying how it has increased our empathy for one another. Yes. Well, here is the big. What I think the big factor last century was projection. The big factor this uh, this century is going to be interdimensional reality. And that's what's going to happen between now and 2012. If I were to give you a, a, short, a short-term forecast, my the people who are talking to me on Facebook, in other words, all know what their star systems are. They have images and photos on their on their files that include phantasmagoric cosmic uh, photos or makeup photos. They have a lot of cats on there, too, for some mm. reason. <laughs> yes. But um, what, what I'm finding where I live, where a lot of seekers sort of end up in Hawaii, is when I ask people what their star system is, I had a guy the other day says, well, I know I've lived on four planets, and I can tell you what they are. You know, I think it was the Pleiades, Orion, uh, Andromeda, which is a galaxy, um, and um, Sirius. And, and, uh, and I'm beginning to actually, when I talk to these people, find out that the Pleiadians are all pretty much uh, big hearts. Syrians are actually serious, you know. They, uh, and so it goes, I think, if you want to track an unidentified flying object, track the souls that are coming into this planet right now everywhere, walk-ins, birth-ins, whatnot, and imagine that in 2012, they're all going to remember where they came from. We're going to recognize we're a galactic colony. Okay, take a breath. I know, take a breath out there. A galactic (laughs) colony, and, um, and then we'll be able to actually share the resources of civilizations that have been around longer than us, and we will all get a pat on the back for the maybe the fastest race to globalization that ever occurred in the cosmos. Because we have put this planet together in record time. And wars actually helped. I'm sorry about that. But manufacturing and wars made a big difference. Well, um, it, it, I had a conversation many years ago with, uh, I believe it's Dr. Richard Boyle. Hmm. And uh, I, I think I have that name right. And uh, he he's talking about, uh, he writes about indigo children and... Uh, uh, believes that um, you know many of the, uh, uh, the the souls on this planet are reincarnated f- uh, souls from other planets. Yes. Uh, that com- that combined with uh, again, you can as you said earlier, let's all take a breath. But a breath, but uh, human alien hybrids. Yes. Uh, so you 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 buy you buy into that? You believe that? Well, here's the deal. Given that the telescopes have finally seen there's a billion other planets out there, and there we have all kinds of reports about um, the activities, the, the sheer numbers of possibilities say that, okay, there's got to be at least a handful of civilizations out there that have been around a little longer than we have. And by the way, what would their interest in us be if it wasn't sort of like a good development project? Well, let's put a few Syrians over here and a few Orions over there and see if we can make this community smarter than the ones we have, because they have more DNA now. And then when we let them solve their big problem about how to become one planet, 
then we'll say hello, and they, by the way, will then be qualified to be part of the Galactic Federation because you have to be unified before you can obviously join another level. So I'm just saying, good grief, folks. Quit muddling around with 1950s movies about Mars and get into the possibility there's a lot of intelligent thought going into what's happening here, and um, we are being colonized, and and we are a big big, uh, scientific experiment. What did you make of uh, uh, Dr. Stephen Hawking's recent comments about uh, aliens and how uh, perhaps that they may be malevolent? Did you find that odd coming from someone such as, as, as he? I wouldn't give that guy a... I'd give him a math problem, but I wouldn't give him a social problem, you know? <laughs> <laughs> you know, that it's just like the guys that have been looking at crop circles, and they're either photographers, uh, but mostly they're just, oh, wow, people, how amazing. But if it's, if it's an intelligent species sending them, they would hit the target every time, which they seem to. They would clean up their mess which it seemed to. They would use a language which is symbolic, not verbal, because we all speak different languages here, and they want to talk to everybody. They would send patterns which show intelligent processes, and that's what they're sending us, verbs. I mean, I'm a visual language guy. Those are all verbs. You can track where they start and what happens before they finish their little pattern design. Interesting. Um, So... Hello, these are love notes from, you know, the friendly locals. Um, and it's entirely, not only is it entirely intelligent stuff, but the fact that we don't have universities can team up in a multidisciplinary way and understand this thing. And they're so afraid of the snicker factor, they wouldn't do it anyway. It's disgusting. I want to spank them. I've um, uh, recently began production with my partners on a documentary on UFO disclosure, and the whole we, we were down at the X conference in Washington, and I spoke at length with uh, Dr. Stephen Greer and others uh, involved in the disclosure movement. But is there, do you uh, believe, uh, or have you learned, a, a group of uh, individuals or elites who are malevolent and are trying to thwart? Uh, the progress of human civilization? Or is it just simply stupidity, inertia? Or, I mean, or is there a, sort of a good and evil? Well, um, yeah, there is a good and evil. But you know what? The evil guys sometimes wake people up way faster than the good guys. So, you know, <laughs> what are we going to say about that? I mean, the fool in the tarot deck always gets people's attention by making a mess. So what did little Johnny Ronson do with the story about my stuff? He made a book that made a mess out of it. And then when people tried to unpack it, they actually realized there were some really interesting pieces there. So that's the reason I agreed to let them make that movie. You know, they sent me the screenplay and said, but if you don't release us from all liability, we're not going to make this. And I, you know, I choked on it a little bit, but I went, wait a minute. This planet has got such a hairball of information. If I'm ever going to get through it with anything intelligent, I have to play this game, and I think I'm a little faster on my feet than a corporation, even a Hollywood corporation. So I agreed to make the movie, and turns out, um, adjusted a few things, created the New Earth Army, uh, got the website. Oh, by the way, the website is brand new, neweartharmy.com, has my new book and the field manual both for a really good price. Ah, 
Okay, neweartharmy.com. And they're going to revisit this subject now, more of a sort of a documentary, and talk to the real people behind the, uh, you know, the, the fictionalized version, correct? Oh, if you get the DVD, go to the featurette. That was another thing I negotiated. You'll see four uh, guys, me and three of my compadres, talking about the real, real incentive we had and how we were incentivized by the generals to do our work and how serious it was and how free it was, you know. Um, yeah, definitely look for the featurette. All right, let's uh, take a time out. Uh, Jim, are you good to stay with us for a little while yet? Hey, yeah, I am. Terrific. All right, go planet. Back go with planet. more. <laughs> Back with more of my conversation with Jim Channon here on the Conspiracy Show AM seven forty. Stay with us. We deal in illusions, man. None of it is true. But you people sit there day after day, night after night, all ages, colors, creeds. We're all you know. You're beginning to believe the illusions we're spinning here. You're beginning to think that the tube is reality and that your own lives are unreal. You do whatever the tube tells you. You dress like the tube. You ate like the tube. You raise your children like the tube. You even think like the tube. This is mass madness, you maniacs. In God's name, you people are the real thing. We are the illusion. So turn off your television sets. Turn them off now. Turn them off right now. Turn them off and leave them off. Turn them off right in the middle of the sentence I'm speaking to you now. Turn them off. Brainwashed in our childhood. Brainwashed by the school. Brainwashed by our teachers. And brainwashed by all the rules. Brainwashed by our leaders. By our kings and queens. Brainwashed in the open and brainwashed behind the scenes. Love from Toronto, Canada. The Conspiracy Show with Richard Sennett from Zoomer Radio, AM 740. Open lines at the bottom of the hour, or more specifically, we'll take your spine-tingling tales beginning at 1230 Eastern. Jim Channon stays with us for a while yet, and we're thankful for that. Uh, Jim, I was asking earlier about uh, you know malevolent uh, entities that might be trying to thwart uh, civilization's progress, and I had a question here off the air from a gentleman. Uh, who mentions a book by Russ Bizdar uh, called Black Awakening. In the book, he claims that the military is training satanic super soldiers. Do you have any thoughts on that? Um, you know, the Army's a big place. I, I, I've been accused um, of being a Satanist, too. I have no idea what that could possibly be. Um, I did see... Constance Cumbie's website once, and I, w- I was thinking I should spank her for saying ugly things about me, and then I read the blog. Why, I've never seen such a, an array of idiots in my life. So I thought, well, that's not a threat. <laughs> so, uh, no, Richard, you know, the pe- people who are afraid to get down and do the work to get to, the, to, get to paradise are going to always be whining and, and blaming other people. The longer they get stuck in, in the "woe is me" story, the less time they'll have to get to get in the game. You know, live in paradise. The planet is completely capable of being paradise. By the way, if you hadn't noticed out there, um, I've been on my land twenty years now, and it is so beautiful. It's an agroforest. You can reach past the banana and grab a flower, or vice versa. You know, there are a dozen people living here in a whole new 
social configuration, um, very loving, nobody lonely, everybody has enough to eat, and it doesn't keep us from going to town and dance, where we have four places you can dance, and no traffic light. What story. what uh, <laughs> what sort of evidence are you seeing when you go around to the conferences and you uh, are you just meeting people in general? What evidence are you seeing of uh, I guess the latest uh, maybe evolutionary upgrade, whether it's uh, courtesy of uh, of aliens? I mean, are you are you are you witness to uh, a, a, yes. a a vibrational I don't know uh, upgrade yes. or increase in consciousness or. Yeah, I can't pinpoint all the places where the upgrades are coming from. Uh, my understanding from hearsay is uh, the sun's doing something about increasing the general upgrade. The body itself has the uh, software already in it for telepathy and uh, telekinesis and all these things that we're so distracted we never practice. And that as the as the dials turn up on the vibration, some of it coming from actually um, aliens on the planet who are invisible to us because our brain only can see, what, 10% of the light spectrum. Um, at one point, somebody told me on my property there were five different antenna setups that were broadcasting very precise kinds of signals to activate... Um, various kinds of intelligence and sensitivity. So I think it's actually an attack on a broad front in a good way. I think the the galaxy wants us to wake up and have a really nice surprise birthday party. And uh, that's what I would do if I were in charge out there. What would you tell the folks at SETI? Here we are 50 years uh, and counting and, and uh, nobody's answering the phone. What, what, is, what is SETI doing wrong? What would you tell them? Yeah, it's a sound-based system, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah, well, but the planet, uh, the galaxy works on frequency vibration patterns. Uh, they don't use jet propulsion much anymore either. That was our invention, so we keep thinking they're flying around in spaceships. But right. all they do, like the power of attraction, is assume the frequency pattern resonance um, they want, and then they will arrive in that place in another point in space and time. Um, uh, nearly as I can, you know, that's my current my current nickel. I'm not a you know astrophysicist or any other quantum physicist. Any, by the way, I was in a meeting with a bunch of quantum physicists. I was doing the cartoons, and the oldest guy said, "Hey, listen, do you think maybe we ought to tell people by looking at all the little parts? We haven't found anything in 50 years that told us anything about how the big parts behave." Hmm. <laughs> and, and and everybody kind of like bowed their heads, you know, and kind of like, but we'll lose our jobs, you know. Right, right. I, you know, think how many people would lose their jobs if it turned out that there was no beginning to the universe, you know, it didn't start somewhere. We're really stuck in the starting part. I mean, that's where historians go. But in the multi-dimensional universe, good grief, you're going to have to throw your clock away, and be ready to change your clothes on a dime. You know, or change your attitude on a dime, and um, I think it's exciting. I don't think uh, God has anything less in mind for us. You know, well, but, change is exciting and it's it's thrilling, but it's it can be pretty darn scary all at the same time. And um, I don't know what it. How do you equip? How do we equip ourselves for the kind of change that's coming down the pipe without potentially losing our minds? 
Oh, wow. That's a great question. It starts with a Buddhist clutch. Learn to breathe, all right? <laughs> and that's kind of a cheap California answer, but um, that's actually true. Begin to suspend your reality about, um, say, history. History was really a haphazard job done by a lot of people who worked for kings. And there are gaping holes in civilizations that were on Earth that have never been reported on, never made it to the textbooks. And I guess they caught the, the British at one point making England three times as big on the map as it, is, it <laughs> actually was. Um, so you have to say, well, history is a few good, a few good footnotes. Uh, yeah. but don't invest in it. Science, similarly, the poor babies have drugged themselves into micro management and microvision and no interdisciplinary stuff. So they're ready for a refit. In fact, with the web, what I imagine will happen is that intelligence will reemerge, not in institutions, but in localities, and hopefully best matched to the biostructure of that reality. Nothing worse than America having laws for four bioregions, because the northeast, southeast, northwest, southwest are really radically different places. And if they're trying to write laws to cover all of those, they're just going to marginalize the whole thing. Um, they have to get busted up and um, more aligned with the, uh, you know, homogeneous with the actual uh, plant life and bird life, et cetera. Um, I, here's the deal. What I've learned about the future is if you if you get stuck in the idea that it can't be modern because it doesn't have more glass and steel and cable, you're 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 screwed. Um, the best of history to come, or the best of the future to come, will be by cherry picking the past, not by following the Bauhaus into the future with, you know, sheets and membranes and cables. The best houses are wooden and cob. They're not steel and glass, you know. Are we going to be sort of helped along in that regard by some sort of, uh, in the future, some sort of, I don't know, um, solar activity that's going to knock out power grids? I mean, are we going to be given a sort of a nudge in that direction, you know, back to the future? Well, as it usually goes, if we're really slow, we'll get smacked. We'll get nudged, and then we'll get pushed, and then we'll get smacked. You know, it's pretty much like that. Are we going to learn before we get smacked? Uh, who is we? I'm I'm in good shape. Right, sure. right. <laughs> how, how are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm sure I'll be dragged kicking and screaming. Unfortunately, uh, I, I'm slow to learn, Jim. No, I know better that you used to work for the regular press, and you left because you didn't think they had anything to say. So <laughs> you're already out of that box. Well, let's let me return to remote viewing here for a moment. All right. And because I'm, I mean, I'm wondering how, how many of these sort of future events you have remote viewed. And I mean, is that even possible? Because if, if we're talking about, uh, you know, hyper dimensions and, and uh, parallel universes, you know, mm -hmm. <clears throat> the, the future is not fixed. So, I mean, how do you how can you remote view the future if it's not fixed? Um, it is difficult, but I can tell you that the kind of people, for instance, that I meet on Facebook, which is my sort of new village. And I walk into the village square, and I always look at their photos. Check out how many of them have ephemeral. I hope people understand that word. In other words, it's layers and layers, mostly atmospheric-type layers mm -hmm. of various things, including planets and angels and stars and whatnot. It's almost um, 
like a dream world. So that image, imagery, because it's so consistent across the, the spectrum I look at, I don't have to remote view it. They've already done that, and the, and the visionary artists are all putting us into an atmospheric future. And artists, you know, have always been like the best radars. Uh, it was never clear why their information was reported or important until we got there. But um, I'm, I'm so. Did I remote view that? Mm, what helps me most is about three in the morning. I get a I get a download of some kind. Sometimes it's an old dumb dream. Sometimes it's a door of a new dumb dream. Sometimes it's a smart dream. Sometimes it's a lucid dream. And I, what I do is I unpack those on a piece of notepad, and then about five o'clock I write about what I think it is, and by eight o'clock it's in some, it's on one of my websites. So I have a methodology for downloading the numinous, you know, the stuff that doesn't have real sharp edges on it, and um, um, and then I pay, and then I hang around with people who do future travel, sort of. I've I've somehow managed to be 30 years ahead without even trying, and I think maybe that I lived, the last place I lived was already that 30 years ahead of us. Hmm. So I'm just remembering it. Um, and I notice people are remembering. The more you ask them a question like, what planet did you come from? Well, tell me about it. Well, tell me people you know here that look like that, and they will. And well, tell me how it's different. And you know, they puzzle about it a little bit, but by the third day, you know, they're going, yeah, well, we are sweeter than the rest of those guys. That's the Pleiadians talking. And, and they don't really have a cosmopolitan sense at all, the Pleiadians. Don't, don't put them in the New Yorker. <laughs> you know, they'd really ruin it, really ruin it for them. Um, and the Syrians are really too, they grind on stuff a lot. You know, um, they love calculating deep experiments, and they'll spend forever getting it right. Well, you know, there are places for those guys building bridges, but you know, don't let them in the middle of the town or the or the green market place. Well, you and I have been we've met an hour and fifteen minutes ago, Jim. Quick, what planet am I from? Ah, good. I'm think. Let me let you think on it. Uh, we'll come back okay. and you can tell me on the other side. Jim Channon here on The Conspiracy Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. All right, Jim, the million-dollar question. Am I a Syrian, a Pleiadian, an Arcturian, an Andromedan, an Orion? Okay, I'm holding a big A up. But to, what, this is your final. What's your final answer? Uh, Arcturian, not a doubt. Um, but it doesn't mean you could have been the other the other places at a former time. By the way, the lamp that was clamped to the ceiling of my house just unclamped itself, and it's swinging like crazy. I'm getting chills. I think I've got it right. Uh, the Arcturians, very simply, are people who nudge other people into action. And anybody with a conspiracy show, certainly quantum. Ah, okay. <laughs> I'm an Arcturian. All right. Yeah. And it also bespeaks highly of your deep spirit, spiritual or, orientation and lack of dogmatism. Ah, interesting. Okay, thank you for yeah. that. Sure. Uh, 
when you um, consult uh, with with the Fortune 500 companies, um, I mean, are they um, are they happy for it to be known that uh, you know they're uh, they're meeting with? I mean, obviously, you're, there's more to you than remote viewing, and you know you've got uh, uh, dozens and dozens of skill sets. But I guess I'm just I'm thinking about like police departments, for example, that right. that w- will occasionally consult with a psychic, but they don't well, want it to be you're known. Gonna be, you're going to be. It's going to make you sad. I'm going to tell you something that's going to make you unhappy because, uh, like Solzhenitsyn said, everybody's just a little bit bad. Right. Uh, uh, soldiers and policemen are lots like Boy Scouts. Uh, corporate guys, I was in um, 25 different boardrooms with corporate guys, and they knew I was there to draw a picture of what they thought their strategy was. And the value of that was because my picture would organize the activities in a really cool way and give everybody a snapshot uh, to remember. But I would tell them, well, I can't even get started. If I get, wrong, if I get started wrong, guys, this won't work. So what is your higher purpose? It always stopped them in their tracks, hmm. and they always took way longer to get it right than any other thing that they worked on. So, no, that I I do not find the the evil guys just um, no. They're all on Wall Street. That's what I think. You know, I mean Wall Street. I, I read something the other day. Have actually told stories about. Um, derivatives, I guess they call it, little financial instruments that you can buy, right? that collectively uh, equal 23 times the amount of money that's actually on planet Earth. Sure, yeah. That, that's how much bullshit they were able to sell. <laughs> yes, indeed. Yeah. Uh, yeah, now they have something called, a, I don't know, a cataclysmic derivative or something. They're, they're the... <laughs> they're <laughs> oh, they're ruthless. They're just, you can't, can you just... You like you need a pair of cowboy boots to kill that cockroach yeah. in the corner. So they're going to take my credit card debt, ra- bundle it with a bunch of other credit card debt, and then sell it back to me. <laughs> <laughs> oh my! Yeah, it, it, it's pretty much uh, yeah. The the uh, the clock is ticking on that one for sure. Uh, but uh, I mean, but are, would we be shocked or surprised at at uh, what? Uh, what CEOs, for example, might in fact be remote viewers? I mean. Is that uh, is that going on in the in the boardrooms in America? Uh, I that's a stretch for me. Yeah. Well, what I can tell you is people who uh, move to that level of leadership one trust in the higher power, rely on the higher power, ask the higher power for help, okay. whatever it is for them, and two have an really great intuitive take on whether people can finish something or not. <laughs> and those are the two criteria, unless it's your brother-in-law, you know, that has to be a vice president of something. And then, Right, right. Uh, but um, um, patient, too. CEOs are patient, and many of them spend more time putting um, support in place for their workforce than they do by standing in front of the building, you know, with a flag and saying, follow me. Right. There's a lot more activity going on at the back end, service, service-oriented activity. I'm doing that. The, high, the more people I have worked for me, the more I'm buying the, the nails and the hammer and the paste and, and stuff and bringing them to them in the right time and, and giving them a happy word and 
and whatnot. It's, you sound very uh, optimistic. Leadership. You sound very optimistic. Well, I've just had a lot of experience. You know, I don't know how many people have been in 20 boardrooms before and asked embarrassing questions. Like, what is your higher purpose? Right, right. So I have statistics, um, I think, behind me. And I have, you know, circled the globe 65 times, and I've been through a, a thousand villages. I'm sure I've hunted with the Maasai and the Kampa, Kampas from Western Tibet. And, you know, I like major, six or eight major tribal orientations. So I have, like, hunkered, you know, and I've lofted myself. And... um Always generally asking questions, taking pictures, and drawing pictures. Um, and now it's only at this point when I realized that, that the globe, I went in, you know, I went in the cockpit for space, <coughs> on Spaceship Earth the other day, and there was nobody in there. Uh, there was a pair of Bucky Fuller's glasses in uh, <laughs> Teilhard de Chardin's old lunchbox. But there was nobody there, so I, I sat down and I steered for a little bit, you know, right. checked the speedometer. It was still going 66,000 miles an hour, but we're not sure where. We hear there's another galaxy that we're sort of interpenetrating with, but um, nobody's running the ship. That's why, you know, I, I with with all humility... You know, well, make my announcement, <laughs> what I think, because <laughs> there's no, there's no competition. Not really. I mean, you can go to a Lester Brown and get the full-on environmental point of view, or um, even old Carl, Carl Jung back there, you know. But nobody's doing the big systems, where do we want to be in a hundred years, really, Right, right. Um, question. And what's the, what's the real dynamic mix of ingredients? You know, what's the alchemy for a civilization at the level of planet? And I can say, thank God for the web. We, we first have a stabilizing, totally connective element there, the web work. And then you put the most available, most uh, organized, most service-oriented people, the militaries, to work on the hardest problems which are mostly out of the towns anyway. So that's a no-brainer. Um, and then, excuse me while I sit up here, let's announce, for God's sake, that we we're, we have a globe. We are a common culture. We are in the global age. The industrial age and the information age finally married each other and made the iPhone. But everyone has one. Um, let's get our bio-rescue handled um, let's get our partnership with nature to a place where we're actually listening to nature. Nature has a better R&D program than we do, according to my particular view. Let's get the ethical marketplace in order. It, and it's a marketplace, meaning not two or three kinds of people telling us about the economy, but maybe 14 or 15 with choices to play or not. Um, Do you think that so, are you optimistic that the people you, we meant, you mentioned service a little while ago, but the people yeah. who are committed to be at service, uh, at service for uh, the public and their fellow man, are you confident that those people are actually finding their way to the top of the heap and are going to be placed in a position where they can they can perhaps help fulfill some of these these uh, these future trends that you're you're talking about? Yes, I am, Richard, absolutely. And by the way, 
it they're a little straight-jacketed in that they come from industry, from business, from science, and they don't have enough mystics and artists and Renaissance people with them. And um, that that um, I don't know what to say about how we can fix that, except that at the local level, those people show up a lot more easily. Because they're just not willing to, you know, sit in a cubicle all day from eight to five and drink powdered coffee. You know, it's just not it. Right, right. Well, let me let me ask you a, maybe a silly question. I I don't I don't know. But if you were president, who would be in your cabinet? I mean, you mentioned the mystics and the artists. I mean, who would be in your cabinet? Well, let's see. The easiest way to tackle that is we already know what the 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 secretaries basically are at the moment. The question is, who would we add? I would definitely add a systems guy, an alchemy guy. There's another, another way of saying systems guy. I would add a um, somebody in the, actually a comedy player. The comedians like George Carlin, give me a break. <laughs> what an insightful social architect he was. Yeah, yeah. Holy cow. Um, and... Um, uh, actually, you know, the comedians really are way more at the forefront of um, sort of the moment. So they wouldn't be the people that would, um, you know, do the long-range planning, but they would definitely be in the board re- meetings so they won't be so boring. Right, right. And uh, they would remind people that feeling is as equally an important activity as thinking and that... Uh, that we are looking for lifestyle here. We're not looking for product management or economies run by a few white guys. Um, and that's what needs to happen. When, when you say the word civilization, it's beyond organization, you know. And we need our civilization to be featured. Um, the news people should be interviewing uh, comedians and dancers and um, artists and not just you know, data, not just digit heads. Um, You can tell I have no charge about this. (laughs) (laughs) But it was fun for me to have enough skills in the military to wheel and deal with my um, art and also my shaman. I mean, I've talked to a thousand majors by drawing with spray cans on the back page and and, uh, having... Having the, we don't want no education. <laughs> um, yeah, and I and then walking on the stage and saying, you know what? Sometimes energy is way more important than content. Mm. Yeah. Uh, have you ever been to Bhutan? Uh, nope. Burma, Thailand, Laos. But you're talking about the gross natural project product of happiness. Yes. <laughs> Great idea. See, there it is. Yeah, for those who, who um, maybe they saw the, the Michael J. Fox special he did a few years ago called Adventures of an Incurable Optimist, and he went to uh, Bhutan, and they have, uh, instead of the gross national index in that country, they actually consider happiness to be important, and they have something called the gross national happiness index. Right so I just thought, my gosh, you would have uh, made the trek there. So what are they doing there? Uh, um that's, that's, they, they didn't join everybody else. They didn't join everyone else. <laughs> that's what I, that's my take on it. 
But, you know, I, uh, my landscape here, buildings and trees and agroforests and stuff, I end with what I call resonant field zones. Mm-hmm. Like, where can we hang around a little pond and have all the trees make just the right noise and have just the right color and just the right smell and, uh, and how soft are the benches, you know? And what place can we all gather in a big kitchen where everything is Mexican and warm and big fat wood and and um, a great old Viking chandelier, you know? Right. And where can we go to say our prayers or talk about things that are a very high-minded things? And we have a place here for all of those things based on social architecture, thinking how do we want to experience this activity? See, a regular architect will design to function, meaning it all should work, like eat, stove, refrigerator. Social architect says, how, what will the experience that we want be, and how will we support the experience? Kind of music, how loud is the music? Uh, does the room resonate uh, with the conversation? Is it the right side? Is the fire on? Where, how much fire do we need? Blah, blah, blah. So, you see, this is the next level of, of, of civilization, the next level of paradise. And then we learn to love each other way more than the, the law exists, you know, uh, permit. This business of, of twosies is really not so great. Um, what's happening with the all-or-nothing relationship, you know? You either love me all the time and never look at another person, or you're not mine, is that Grown-up men are not meeting other grown-up women, and grown-up women are not meeting other grown-up men beside their mate. This is socially really dumb. <laughs> so, well, I, I can't speak for It's working pretty good for me, i got to say, uh-huh. but uh, um, hey. Well, if you're a busy boy, it's nice to have that package wrapped up nice. Yeah. But once you're retired and really gregarious and horny like me... <laughs> I had no idea we were going down this road, but that's... <laughs> well, you know, that's what, I'm breaking the mold. I'm yeah. following my, my, my pattern as a nudge and making sure we get into all the corners here, Richard. All right. And talk about some of the real stuff. <laughs> uh, you know, it's, I'm so tired of being important, you know. Are you? No, not really. <laughs> <laughs> but, but, uh, but, yeah, hey... Uh, talk about an undiscovered subject, uh, how to make love. Uh, now, I know there's a lot of videos about it, but they're not actually dealing with love. They're dealing with a certain gymnastic performance right, that's I'm associated with it. Right, right. Yeah. And they're not dealing with forgiveness, and they're not dealing with, you know, real soul-felt communication. And... These are tools which um, I don't know why we can't manage to get that in the school system somewhere, but, you know, God's always been pretty good about never giving us any of the real answers. So we all have to make a journey, hero's journey out of life. Yeah, we got to work for the important stuff. What a drag, eh? How- yeah, I know. It seems like it. <laughs> Jim, what a pleasure uh, speaking with you. Thank and you. Um, uh, again, let's give out some of those important uh, websites, uh, shall we? Well, let me ask you a question first. Who did the audio setups for yeah, the, between the breaks? They were hilarious. That's uh, oh, the um, the the liners coming back. Yeah, the, oh, the, the, those are the, just the good people here at AM seven forty, the creative department, and my my technical producer Dan Ellison. Wow. 
hats off to them. They really set the tone for it. So, Richard, the yeah, I think the NewEarthArmy.com is really the, the it's a good place to tune in. You can go to the other websites from there. I've got 80 videos on YouTube. It's just Jim Channon with a C, um, and uh, that that content is very much about the eco future. Very much how do we can settle our lives in cooperation with nature. Um, there's some other stuff on creativity in there, and um, I think those are the biggies. And All if right. you if you do have a niche for for remote viewing, I would definitely consider the. Las Vegas conference on the 18th. June 18th, remote yeah. viewing uh, conference. And yep. uh, again, if they want to sign up for that, they go to... Yeah, irvaconference.org. Terrific. Yeah. Jim, hope you'll uh, join me again sometime. I thoroughly enjoyed it. Aloha, brother. Bye-bye. Bye. All right, let's uh, open up the lines, and uh, we can do some open line now until... We dim the lights here on The Conspiracy Show. Spine-tingling tales when we return on the other side. Vampire Slayers, and Alien Abductees. The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett continues on Zoomer Radio, AM 740. To talk to Richard, call 416-360-0740 or toll-free in Ontario at 1-866-740-4740. All right, Spying Tingling Tales, your encounters with the paranormal, the supernatural, strange coincidences... Bizarre circumstances that left you shaken, perplexed, beguiled, unnerved, unraveled, all that, and, uh, well, just about anything you want to jaw about, as long, of course, as it uh, has to do with the subject matter we discuss on this show. It could be uh, political subterfuge, conspiracies, uh, uh, or, uh, as I say, uh, the paranormal. It could be alternative energy. Alter- Speaking of alternative energy, I mentioned briefly... When I was speaking with Jim Channon, this uh, Bloom Energy uh, a box, and uh, this was sort of uh, um, popularized not too long ago on, on 60 Minutes. And again, the idea of the Bloom Energy box, this is a device I'm, I'm told you could basically hold in your hand, a little black box, and in one end goes a... Uh, you know, your natural gas, assuming you're on natural gas, out the other end, it's a fuel cell, out the other end, you you plug that into your, uh, I don't know, your fuse box, I guess, and the natural gas is converted into electricity. The natural gas turned in, uh, you know, excites some electrons, and then the electrons generate the electricity. Now, think about that. Uh, On the one hand, you're saying, well, okay, so we've replaced electricity with natural gas, so, but uh, there was enough natural gas in Canada to last like 150 years. Natural gas is uh, 
far cleaner, obviously, than uh, than coal or uh, or uh, for oil. And also, think of all those hydro lines, the infrastructure, the power grid, the uh, the harmful harmful uh, electromagnetic uh, uh, activity that's going on everywhere because of all of these high voltage power lines. Out the back of our house, up in Unionville, we have low uh, power lines, a, a, a low a sort of a power hydro uh, uh, line corridor. Uh, no real danger, but it's kind of unsightly. All of those would, would, could, be, could be torn down. No more hydro lines. The streetcars. We like to think of, uh, you know, the TTC or, or the, the uh, mass transit as being uh, the uh, eco-friendly way, but the TTC is the number one user of electricity in this province. And you know how they're generating electricity. There's, they're using coal-powered uh, generators, or they're using diesel power generators. So the generation of electricity right now is far from eco-friendly. Even the streetcar. You'll notice uh, as the streetcar goes by, you know, the, the little sparks that fly off the line as it's arcing, that's adding ozone to the atmosphere. That's a pollutant. But these bloom boxes really could be world-changing. A friend of mine sat me down and was telling me about this. He's very excited about this. He's, and he's been following this for the last 10 years, and he's certain this is going to be absolutely world-changing. And we might be a couple years away from these being available uh, to consumers at a reasonable price. But I'm told that Google is now running their, uh, well, Google is, is being powered by these bloom boxes. And a couple of Walmart uh, uh, stores have, uh, have signed on, and they're now using the bloom box. Now, there are a number of companies that are uh, involved in this, and Bloom is one of them, but... Uh, this is potentially very exciting. No more power grid. I mean, think of it. The, the generation, the, the, the way that we generate electricity hasn't changed in over 100 years. It's incredibly antiquated. And I think by design, it's incredibly inefficient. Wouldn't it be wonderful to be able to tear all those power lines down? You would be in control. You would be generating your own electricity. And... You could plug your, uh, your electric car into this. We could put these bloom boxes eventually into electric cars. This is very exciting. Julia is in uh, Thornhill. Good morning, Julia. Welcome to The Conspiracy Show. Uh, hello, hello uh, Richard. I'm happy to talk to you tonight. Likewise. Um, I wanted to comment on your um, guest's um, several comments that he made uh, intrigued me. And I wanted to raise two points. Uh, first of all, I wanted to say that I consider myself a mystic. I have about uh, 15 years of experience as a mystic. I, I've um, prayed intensely over those years and, and done a number of spiritual disciplines. Um, what is a mystic? What is a mystic? Uh, a mystic, I believe, is someone who, as a result of spiritual disciplines, uh, is able to develop various charisms which hail from the Holy Spirit in the good cases. Um, of course, the, the negative forces can also um, impart abilities to people. 
um, in my case, I, I, my whole, my entire the focus of my life is on God. So I, I tend to believe that my powers, whatever I possess, uh, do hail from, from the realm of light. Um, I wanted to uh, make two points, and the first one is that with respect to the gifts, uh, such as remote viewing, etc., I think that accuracy is really, really important, and I believe that because um, of the number of um, so-called evil entities on this um, planet and various, um, you know, polluting nebulous energies that are about, uh, usually people who have abilities to sense subtle energy can pick these up and they're aware of them. But because of the, um, uh, the prevalence of these things, um, when people uh, do things like remote viewing and, and uh, exercise various other skills in the mystical realm, they very often get um, inaccurate results. And uh, for that reason, I believe that without the grace of God and without many, many hours of prayer and concentration in the spirit of sincerity and, uh, you know, without living with purity of heart, and, um, you know, uh, uh, really trying to purify one, one's life on every level, it's impossible to do these things with accuracy. This is my point. I think it's a good one, Julia, and I thank you for the call. 416 416-360-0740, 416-360-0740, 866-740-4740. I, uh, I, I agree with uh, Julie. I, I, I think you need to obviously be uh, of, of pure mind and pure heart uh, in order to uh, receive uh, these gifts and uh, be able to wield them in a, uh, in a godly manner. Next week on the program, Lyme disease. This, uh, you've, you may have heard about it, Lyme disease, and thought, well, occasionally someone gets... Uh, bitten by a, a deer tick and uh, uh, they then develop some some malady uh, or another uh, but how does it affect me and uh, you know it's rare you may say well not so uh, I promise you if you tune in next week uh, what your the information you're going to hear is going to chill you to the bone Lyme disease is an epidemic and you might be uh, disheartened to learn about how our governments, both here and in the United States, uh, how ill-equipped they are, uh, and in some cases unwilling to even admit that there is a problem here. Uh, but this is a, um, uh, an epidemic to be sure. I'll be speaking with a, uh, a medical journalist, a health journalist, an editor of uh, Vitality magazine, Helka uh, uh, Ferry. That's next week on the program. We'll do a two-hour special on Lyme disease. I want to also uh, mention uh, that tonight's show, uh, and uh, we talked with uh, Jim Channon for the first 90 minutes, that was produced by one of my students, Albert Vinzel who is uh, enrolled in my uh, talk radio course. And in fact, uh, the next several shows will be, in fact, produced by my students. They're learning how to 
produce talk radio. And one of their assignments was to produce an episode of The Conspiracy Show. So well done, Albert, for a, uh, for a, great, uh, a great show. And uh, first of all, recommending that I speak to Jim Chan and then tracking him down and lining him up and making sure that I was prepared for the show. And next week's show on Lyme disease, likewise, will be produced uh, or has been produced by one of my students, Joanne McDougall, uh, who did uh, Yeoman's Duty in pulling uh, next week's show together. And subsequent shows, again, will be produced by students. If you're interested in learning how to uh, produce talk radio, talk TV, write for talk radio, talk TV, edit, um, uh, host, in fact, for that matter, then uh, I strongly urge you to uh, go to the website, richardserrett.com, and there's a banner ad on the right-hand side called Talk Radio. Click on that, and uh, all the information you need to know on how to contact me, I will be offering new courses or new classes in uh, the fall of 2010. I've even attached a syllabus so you can see what you'll learn and uh, uh, how it all breaks down over 13 weeks and 39 hours. All right. Uh, why don't we say hello to... Do I owe you a break, Dan? Why don't we get the break out of the way? We'll come back and we'll get to some more calls. Marie in Toronto, you're up next. I think she wants to talk about the Bloom Energy um, box. We'd love to hear her thoughts. This is potentially very exciting, earth-changing technology, folks. Back with more of The Conspiracy Show. My name, Richard Serrett. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. Hope to see you, uh, some of you out at um, the theatrical premiere of United We Fall a documentary about North American Union. Uh, the filmmakers Brian Law and Dan Dix were in studio uh, last week, and uh, I'll be presenting United We Fall, along with Patrick White from Conspiracy Culture at the Bloor Cinema on Friday, June the 18th, and the, uh, the film begins at 7 p.m. I'll be uh, offering a quick uh, introduction and Q&A before the film, and that'll probably get underway at around 6.40 p.m. Again, Friday, June the 18th at the Bloor Cinema. Uh, tickets at the door, or you can order them through Conspiracy Culture from their website, conspiracyculture.com, uh, or call them and, uh, and order them. Uh, I'm also... Um, featured in the documentary. Again, it's United We Fall. It's all about North American Union. All right, let's say hello to Marie, and I think she wants to talk about the the Bloom Energy Box. Hello, Marie. Hi, Richard. Um, no, I wasn't thinking about that kind of energy. Oh. I was thinking about um, the ma- free magnetic energy uh, that uh, that John Searle guy, is tr- uh, that old man from Britain, is in the States trying to push. And uh, not many... People are speaking about that. How does it work? What's the principle behind it? Uh, he says you could have a little, uh, like a, uh, like a little radi, uh, like a little radiator uh, high box, maybe three feet high, uh, a few inches thick, and uh, there's like eight magnets. And I don't know how they work, but he says the magnets go, the electricity goes around the magnets. Uh, somehow it produces electricity, hmm. and he says the air that comes out of it is cleaner than the air that went in it. So it cleans, cleans it at the same time. And I don't see why we have to, um, 
you know, like why everything has to be electric, because I don't believe electricity is, is good for you. Well, it's, what's, what's not good for you is the way that it's generated or, or trans, uh, transmitted uh, along these hydro lines. Yeah, well, but even, even if, have you ever had a, um, oh my God, I forget what they're called now, um, uh, a, a, a little meter that measures the electricity? Yes. Uh, in in some rooms, like say my TV room. Yes. Yeah, uh, it's a pretty small TV room because it's off the side of the living room. Right, right. I can. It's a Gauss meter. Yes. I can sit there with that Gauss meter, and there's only one safe place to sit in that room where it's in the green. The rest of the room is in the yellow or in the red because there's you're surrounded with too much electricity. When I went to buy that Gauss meter. The guy at the store told me that he used to work for uh, Hydro and uh, that uh, they were doing tests um, on uh, lab mice at Hydro, and they claimed that the electricity was safe. But meanwhile, all these other tests have been done in Sweden, uh, two different sets of tests, and that they know that people, more people that are exposed to electricity get cancer. So, well, um, I think those tests had to, if I recall, it had to do with the cell phone. Well, they've done if, those tests too, okay, but this I'm is talking test, about right. electricity, not microwaves. Well, okay, but so we shut down electricity, but then we have the the, the microwaves to contend with, and they're everywhere. But uh, I, I mean, I hear what you're saying, uh, and maybe this is an incremental step. But the point is, you've got, you know, you've got uh, remote uh, remote villages around the world. They have no access to power. Right, uh, but I'm saying with this, with this, this, with this, this magnetic, and the guy, the guy even came out and said that they built spaceships uh, in uh, in, uh, in England and had them uh, in that forest, Rendlesham Forest, that, that they're talking about seeing right. UFOs in all the time. And, and, and I mean, if that stuff works, why are we still being tied to something that isn't safe? Well, that's the, that's the million dollar question. Is it? Does it work? Is it repeatable? Uh, I mean, th- this Bloom uh, box... Uh, yeah, I've seen them on TV. I yeah. know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah, I mean, we have to go with what works. I mean, if this fellow's uh, invention does, in fact, work, then hopefully, you know, someone's going to get behind it, and it will, it'll rise to the top. But until then, well, you uh, at, so at the very least, we can tear down all of these... We could tear down all of these uh, hydro lines, high-power uh, high uh, co- energy or uh, electrical uh, corridors... Uh, I mean, living underneath those are definitely making people sick. Let me ask you a question. Yes. Uh, on your meter in your house. Right. You have one of those new meters that flashes? A smart meter? Yeah. No, I don't want one. I don't want one either. You know, I don't know if it's through those meters or what, what, however, but they can, I don't know, I, I think they have to come into your home, but they can actually control can control all the electricity coming in. Yes, your home. in a peak time, they could shut off your air conditioner, and that's why I don't want to have one. Yes, they they they, they can they can zoom it right down to a plug. Yes. Uh, well, if you look at a smart meter, it flashes, and it, it gives you three different sets of numbers, and one of the numbers, one of the sets of numbers it flashes is a row of eights. Now, when you go to the gas pump. Have you ever looked at the gas pump, the numbers on the gas pump before it starts pumping? No, I have not. Well, next time you get gas, you look at those numbers, and you'll get a row of eights, 
and then a row of zeros, and then you start to get your numbers for your gas. Interesting. So where are we going with this, Marie? What do you think they mean? I think it means that it's the G8 telling us that they control all our electricity, <laughs> yes, uh, all our gas. And uh, I can tell you, uh, uh, I didn't. Hey, I didn't need. Uh, I don't need a, uh, You know, the the numbers on a gas meter to tell me that. I think we we can all uh, figure that. All right, let's uh, take one final time out. We'll come back a few uh, a few more notes before we dim the lights. Thanks for the call, Marie. A pleasure. The truth will set you free, but first, it'll really tick you off. You're listening to The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio, AM 740. Uh, go to my website, richardserrett.com, Richard Serrett, S-Y-R-E-T-T. Can't believe I still have to spell my last name at the stage of my career, however. <laughs> um, I'm just kidding. Uh, richardserrett.com and... There is a slideshow on the home page, and uh, one of the uh, slides is uh, sort of a news story. Another slide is a past guest. Another one is a, a, the book or DVD pick of the week. And then another one is just kind of a, is often a video. It's called Mothership Over Moscow. And if you click on that, it's, uh, it's an amateur eyewitness video of this incredibly bizarre it's not a cloud formation it's something above the clouds it's a it's these lights above the clouds that look suspiciously like well how else could i say but a mothership hovering over moscow so again go to richardserrett.com the homepage, and just click on uh, on the slideshow you'll see there right at the top mothership over moscow that'll take you to the youtube video uh check that out and uh, the other item on the uh, the slideshow is, according to Bilderberg tracker uh, Jim Tucker, the uh, global financial recession is supposed to last for another year. The Bilderbergs have already decided that. And the uh, now the Bilderbergs are meeting in Spain this year. It's supposed to happen. I guess, it, actually, it ended today, I think. It was uh, at the Hotel Dolce Stigas. Uh, and the uh, this year's Bilderberg meeting ran from June 2nd until today, or yesterday, rather. It's a, a five-star resort. What are they doing in those Bilderberg meetings? Are they uh, electing or deciding who will be the next uh, president of the United States? the next uh, Prime Minister of Britain? Are they deciding when and where and under what circumstances the United States will go to Iran, or are they just playing canasta? I'm not really sure, but I have serious doubts that it's canasta. All right. Uh, as I said, next week on the program, Lyme disease for the full two hours. You don't want to miss this. It's going to talk about spine-tingling tales. All right. Uh, my uh, sincere thanks uh, to uh, Dan Ellison for technical production. And a special thank you to my uh, producer for this evening, Albert Vinzel, who did a terrific job in uh, lining up tonight's show with Jim Channon. 
Lieutenant Colonel, U.S. Army, and the man who wrote the field manual for the 1st Earth Battalion. Way to go, Albert. In the meantime, don't be afraid. There is nothing concealed that won't be revealed and nothing hidden that won't be made known. What you hear in the dark, speak in the light, and what I say in a whisper, proclaim from the housetops. Move over, Aphrodite. I'm coming home. Good night. Happy birthday to you. Hey, where's mom going? She hasn't even opened her presents. Well, son, she just turned 65, which means there's new offers for her at Specsavers. What? Yep, an eye exam now costs her nothing, and she can get 30% off lens upgrades with any pair of glasses. Wow. So, can we cut the cake now? You betcha. No-cost eye exams are for eligible seniors at all participating locations with costs covered by provincial health care. Conditions apply. See specsavers.ca. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.